Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. Heavenly Father, would you be with us uh, as we dive into your beautiful, beautiful scriptures this morning? Speak to our hearts, Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. One of the great battles in any community is the tension between depth and breadth. Depth and breadth. When I say depth, I'm meaning that close knit group of people that you are very similar to and you've been with a long time and you trust each other and you have all this shared history and your relationships are so deep. Um, to give you an example, I have gone to the same river in the same part of the Ozark Mountains with the same few people uh, since I was 15. And uh, I'm heading there in a bit, in a, in a few weeks, and we have inside jokes from when we were 12 years old. And we challenge each other in ways that you only can when you've known somebody in and out for a really, really long time. And it is super deep. When I talk about breadth, I'm talking about big, broad, messy communities where the value is not necessarily close kind of unity and intimacy together, but like the more the merrier. Let everybody come. Um, and the more different the types of people, the better. So to give you an example of breadth, uh, when I was a teenager, I lived in Memphis, Tennessee, and I went to this thing called Memphis in May every year, which was this big, massive music festival that revolved around basically blues, beer, and barbecue. And uh, it was the only thing in Memphis, Tennessee, which is an extremely segregated, stratified city, that everyone unified for a weekend, and it was like heaven. Black and white, hippies and frat boys, rednecks and businessmen, all were just unified for this like beautiful three days. When it comes to community, both of those things, breadth and depth, really matter. They're important, and yet, as values, they can sometimes seem to be mutually exclusive. So my canoeing trip is very deep, but it is extremely exclusive. Memphis in May had tons of breadth, but it was utterly shallow. <laughs> there was not a lot of depth to, that, to those relationships to the people there. And a decisive moment comes for every community when those values collide against each other. And everybody has to decide, hey, what are we going for here? Where are we headed? Are we going to keep it small and intimate? Are we going to open it up? If we do, what does it mean to be a part of the community? This is like when you have that great thing going with a small group or a group of friends, and then somebody's like, hey, can I bring so-and-so? And everybody's like, and everybody's divided on, some people are like, yeah, that'd be great. And other people are like, I don't know, this is really good, what we have going on right now. So all groups at some point have to make a choice, and so it is with the church. Churches are always on some type of pendulum swing between either focusing more on the depth of discipleship and community or on the breadth of evangelism and mission. Both values are good. Both values are utterly biblical. But sometimes it can feel like they compete against each other and that we have to kind of choose which one we're going to compromise on. So, Christ Church, what about us? What about our community? Who are we? Where are we going? How do we hold these two things in tension? 
do we have to choose? That's kind of what I'm interested in this morning, and that's really the question that I want to bring to our passage. And you're like, the good shepherd? How does this have anything to do with the good shepherd? Well, John 10, utterly beautiful passage, super famous. Again, like I said, we spend time in this every year on this Sunday. Um, But a really cool aspect of this passage is how Jesus casts a vision for the community of God that is both, at the same time, profoundly deep and profoundly broad. The Good Shepherd calls each of us personally, uniquely, exclusively, into something that is so relational and intimate, while at the same time, he's always calling others and he's leading his people to open up to others. I don't think John 10 resolves all of the the tension and the conversation and this depth or breadth thing, but I'm fascinated by what Jesus holds together in this passage and this is what really stuck out to me this week. And I think for us, Christ Church Madison, whether you've been here for a while or this is a first Sunday and you're thinking, what is this church like? This is an awesome thing for us to meditate on for our church, which is new and growing. So let's begin by getting our heads around Jesus' shepherding analogy that he uses in this passage. Um, in Jesus' analogy, and I honestly, I've read this passage my whole life, and I feel like I understood it for the first time this week with his, the different words. There's a sheepfold, or you might just see the word fold. The sheepfold would have been a circular or rectangular wall of stones. So think like, as big as maybe this, the center of these seats, about that big, not too big, in which the sheep would be kept in overnight so that they didn't get munched on by wolves or stolen by bad guys. Um, to keep all the sheep in there, there would be one door where all the sheep would go in, and then it was an enclosure. And people who nerd out on the history of shepherding, and there are many, you've probably heard people talk about it, spend a lot of time thinking about this stuff, will tell you that it was common practice for multiple shepherds to keep all of their sheep together in the same sheep fold. So you have to imagine, there's all these sheep. I used to live in England. They tag sheep with a color of spray paint. I I was like, what's going on at first? You see all these sheep with like a green splotch on the side. But it's so they know whose sheep is whose. They're all in there. You've got to imagine all these sheep are in a sheep fold, and some of them are shepherd bobs, some of them are shepherd dans, some of them are shepherd johns. And when the shepherd would come to get his sheep to come out and graze or to be shorn or whatever, he would come to the door of the sheepfold and he would get his specific sheep to come out, not by using a whip or a dog, but by using his voice. The shepherd would call out to his sheep and the sheep would perk up and recognize their shepherd and they would come out. The closest thing I've ever experienced to this is dropping our kids off at childcare in the gym. And there's like this huge thing and there's kids running around everywhere and you like open up the gate and they just sprint in and they're gone and they're lost, you know? You come back after you work out and literally there's a gate and I like stand there and I like am looking for my boys until I call their name and they're playing Legos with all these other kids and they go and they turn around because they recognize my voice. That's basically what's happening here. Turn with me to John 10 verses 1 to 5. If you've got a Bible, please open it up to John 10. If you're watching on the live stream, please grab your Bible and open it up with me to John 10. We'll be looking at this for a while. If you don't have a Bible, just please open up to your bulletin. 
John 10, verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So first, let's look at the depth of relationship and intimacy that Jesus is talking about here. Jesus says, like I said, the shepherd comes up to the door. There's all these sheep bleeding and running around, and he calls his own sheep by name. Which is to say, when Jesus calls us, he calls us by name. Which is to say, when we are called by Jesus, we get singled out of a crowd. This is personal, exclusive. This is the kind of calling, it's the kind of moment that makes you feel special. Who, me? You know, you're kind of looking around, like are you pointing at somebody else and then he calls your name? Me. What's amazing is that for Jesus, this is not a metaphor. And in the Gospels, we actually see him doing this a lot. And in fact, in John's Gospel, name calling is a really big deal. So in John 1, Jesus comes onto the scene and one of the first things Jesus does in John chapter 1 is he calls some names. He goes up to a place in ancient Judea, and there's all these people, some fishermen to be exact, and he points at them, and he calls them by name to follow him, and they basically perk up and recognize something in Jesus. I love the fact that the Gospels don't tell us all why they followed at that very beginning, but they recognize something in Jesus, they feel something in Jesus, they're drawn to something, and in their own respective way, they basically leave their sheepfold and start following the shepherd. So think of the sons of Zebedee kind of leaving the fold of their family out into the great beyond to follow this new shepherd. What's cool is John's gospel ends with name calling. So Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb after the resurrection. Jesus is not there. She's weeping. And then, like in the road to Emmaus that we read last week, she sees Jesus. She doesn't recognize him yet until what happens? Jesus says, Mary. He says her by her name, and at that moment, she recognizes it's Jesus. Um, I've finally broken down and started watching The Chosen. I heard everybody talk about it for like years, and I was like, I'm not going to watch this. It's going to be so cheesy, and I was like totally a snob. But I finally started watching it, and like, have had to actively hide my tears from Marissa at certain points. Um, it's beautiful. One of the things that caught me is during Peter's calling. So they, during Peter's calling, they do this scene where he does the miraculous catch of fish. Hey, try the other side. And then he has all this fish in his nets. And like it says in the Gospels, Peter breaks down when it happens because he realizes he's in the presence of God or someone or whatever he's thinking. And he says, I repent, I'm a sinful man, depart from me. And in the TV show, Jesus bends down on his knees and he gets eye level with Peter and he looks him in the eyes as he's reeling and he just says, follow me. And as I was watching that, I thought, who could resist that moment? 
Who could, who could have Jesus look him in the eyes and say, with love and compassion, follow me? I mean, can you imagine how special Peter just got literally singled out by Jesus in this most miraculous, beautiful, special way? And as I watched, I thought, I wish I could have had that type of calling from the Lord. But as I thought about it, I realized I did have that exact same type of calling from Jesus. Jesus wasn't there in the flesh. He wasn't in sandals. I didn't get a fishing moment. I'm a fisherman, and I'm an awful fisherman, even though I love it. But as an early teen, through the ministry of the church, in situations like this right now, I heard the voice of Jesus call my name. And I recognized something in it. It wasn't an audible name in my mind, but Jesus wooed me. I felt singled out of a crowd, and in my little sheepfold of teenagers in Memphis, Tennessee, I perked up, and I started following him. This is one of the reasons I love testimonies. Every Christian has a story of somehow, some way, they felt called. They heard Jesus' voice speak to them in a special way that cut through everything else in their life. Maybe you are in the middle of one of these situations right now. Whether you're here, whether you're watching, this is a place where Jesus is calling people. Amen? The shepherd's calling is so personal, but it doesn't end there. His loving care and sacrifice is also personal. Look at verse 10. This is another huge theme in this passage. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is saying um, there's a lot of other leaders out there who are actively calling people. Uh, Often the most charismatic, magnetic people are selling something, right? And there is a lot to fear in that in situations like this because there's a lot of bad stuff that happens in religion and cults and stuff like that. But especially if you're new to Christianity, I really want you to see this in this passage, how good Jesus is. This is what makes him good. He's saying, I'm not like the other people who just get this huge following and then just use them for my own gain. I don't care about them. They're just followers on an Instagram account. They're like monthly donors to a Ponzi scheme. Jesus is saying, for me, it's the opposite. So that my sheep can have full, abundant life, as the NIV says, life to the full. I lay down my life for their sake. This is one of the most precious, rich parts of this passage. It's all about Jesus' cross. But just for our focus this morning, I want to point out that this is not generic for Jesus, what he's saying. It's personal. Because Jesus says in another time that he is the kind of shepherd who if he has a hundred sheep and he loses one, what does he do? He says, honestly, cost-benefit analysis, I'm still good. I have the 99. The one is fine. I'll just, I'll just cut my losses. That's okay. No. Honestly, that could be smarter in, in a sense, but he leaves the 99 to attend to the one. With Jesus You are never a face in the sheep crowd. Somehow he can have a massive following and he still cares about you. 
with Jesus, it's always personal. So yes, uh, everything we talk about every week, Jesus' cross and his resurrection, they're for the whole world, but it is personal. Our faith is not individualistic. We're very careful to guard against that as extremely individualistic Americans, but our faith is personal, and we have to be careful we don't lose that dimension. Finally, look at the depth of intimacy that Jesus calls his sheep into. The warm fuzzies just keep on being exponentially multiplied in this passage. Are you all feeling the fuzzies? Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. When you see the word know in the Bible, it's like much more intense and beautiful than the way that we say that word. That's really deep. How deep? Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. This is crazy. Jesus is saying he's the kind of shepherd who not only calls sheep by name, not only does he lay his life down for the sheep, but he has this deep, deep, intimate, personal, reciprocal knowledge and understanding between his sheep, which is crazy. And how deep is it? Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Have you ever had a crush on a group of friends? It's like whether it's in high school or middle school or your college or your workplace or whatever, where there's a group of people who like you see all hanging out together and it just looks like, man, that looks so awesome. What do you got to do to get invited to that sleepover, um, to be invited in that work lunch, right? There has never been a community more exclusive or intimate than the Holy Trinity. If you were Jesus' disciple and you heard, you just hung around him for a while and you heard him talk about the love that he shared with the Father from before the beginning of time, you just had to have thought, wow, what must it be like to be a human that is known and loved and is that secure? Seeing Jesus get baptized and hearing the Father say, this is my son, I'm so pleased with him I could bust. To be thinking, what must that be like? But the scandal of the gospel, and many of you know this, especially in the gospel of John, is that Jesus invites us into the divine community. It's mind-boggling. Once we were lost in the crowd, we were lost to ourselves. Just random, stinky sheep bumping into each other, trying not to get eaten by wolves or stolen by bad guys, right? And then Jesus comes and he singles us out of the crowd. He calls us by our name, which, by the way, is why we're rocking name tags this morning. I thought if there's ever a a time to bring back the name tags, it's on, on this day. He calls us by name. He lays down his life for us. He gives us life. He invites us to be known by Jesus like he knows the Father, where Jesus is in us and we're in him and he's in the Father. It's amazing. So as I was reading this passage this week, one of the questions I was asking was, if I was a sheep and I was hearing this for the first time, how would it make me feel? Trying to ditch like the logic and the, my like interpretive brain, just say, how would I feel if I was hearing all these things? And as I meditated on it, one of the main things I think I would feel, and I did feel this week, is special. (laughs) You know what I mean? Special. Like, I uniquely matter to God. Like, I just won the lottery somehow of heaven 
and I'm getting invited. I like won some sweepstakes that I get invited into this precious, beautiful thing to have this kind of shepherd, this type of intimacy and protection. That has depth to it, right? But look where he goes next. Let's go back to verse 14. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. (sighs) Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. We talked about depth, and here's where the breadth idea comes in. Jesus, like I said, has been dishing out, dishing out the warm fuzzies in mighty, mighty ways, right? Standing at the door of the sheepfold, he's calling a sheep by name. It's personal, it's intentional, it's beautiful. But in verse 16, there's a gear change, and to me, it's jolting almost. It's this beautiful classic moment of gospel whiplash. We go from Jesus' personal attention to his global mission in a sentence, from depth to breadth. To dig a little bit into it, when Jesus is giving this teaching, he is standing in Jerusalem. And to use his analogy, he is standing at the door of the sheepfold of Jerusalem, of the Jews in first century ancient Judea and he's calling out names. That's actually what the four gospels are. It's Jesus at that specific, specific sheepfold. Jesus actually says that's his intention because he says, I've come for the lost sheep of Israel. So he begins with his sheepfold, with his Jewish door. But in verse 16, he's saying, this is just one fold. And I have other sheep in many other folds, and I must bring them also. The big fold dichotomy is Jew-Gentile in this world, or in the Bible world, and that's a huge part of what he's talking about, but also think of folds as like Madison and Milwaukee. My family and your family. This neighborhood, that neighborhood. A certain political fold. A certain cultural fold. Ethnic folds. Jesus is implying that he's going to go around to all the folds in the world. He's going to call out names and people are going to perk up. They're going to hear something in this man's voice and they're going to start following. So that out of many different folds, there'll be one flock and one shepherd. And he's going to accomplish this just like it happened for me through his church, empowered by his spirit. Remember what we've quoted the resurrected Christ saying the last two weeks, which is kind of becoming our mantra for Eastertide, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So this means that Jesus' disciples are going to be under shepherds who go throughout the world, throughout time, and participate in this type of calling of sheep, in this name calling. It's going to be Jesus' voice through his spirit, but they're going to get to be a vehicle for it. And a really cool thing is that we get to see an example of this in our Acts reading. And so if you have your bulletin, flip to Acts 18. If you have a Bible, 
flip to Acts 18. This is a beautiful, beautiful passage. Um, this is the beginning of the Corinthian church. If you've ever read the Bible, there's two awesome books called First and Second Corinthians. It comes out of this moment. Paul, who was a random guy, who, by the way, was a very boisterous sheep, mean sheep, that Jesus called by name, and he started following Jesus. He recognized something in Jesus' voice. And then Jesus called him to go out and do some name-calling himself. He gets to Corinth, and he's there. And then look, Jesus comes to him in a dream, and look what he says, verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. Put it differently, Paul, keep on speaking. There are still sheep that need to hear me call them by name. So it says he stays there for a long time and he keeps on speaking. And many people perk up and start following. So do you see how Jesus casts a vision for depth and breadth at the same time? Again, there's so much here, but this was the thing that really stuck out to me. In this passage, there is depth and breadth. There's intimacy and there's openness. There's exclusivity and there's inclusivity, somehow all at the same time. And as the church, which is the flock under the one shepherd, that's what we are, we are called to embody everything Jesus is talking about here. So the church is called to be a place of astounding depth. This is the place where people hear the voice of Jesus call their name. Through this vehicle, through Christ's body, the church. This is the place where people experience just how personal Jesus' death and resurrection really is. It goes from being an idea of history to something that is personal. This is the place where people are known by God and by other people in community in a way that somehow, according to Jesus, can be as deep and commensurate as the way that the Father knows the Son. Sign me up for that, right? We don't always live up to that, but that's our calling. At the same time, the church is also called to be a place of astounding breadth. This is the place where people from all different folds in the world are coming together. A place where no matter how close and beautiful the relationships get, no matter how sweet the fellowship gets, it never gets capped. It never gets closed off. People always can join. Amen? We're going to have a, a service with Lighthouse Church at, on Pentecost, and I just am so excited. Pentecost is this moment where you really see the breadth come together, and that's going to be super fun. We're going to have a lot of different countries and languages represented, and it's going to be a blast. In the church, Jesus is always drawing us deeper and leading us outward. Now, this is not easy. Um, it's really hard, actually. And in fact, I think left to ourselves, it's impossible to hold those two things together. For the sake of depth, we're always going to be tempted to cap the numbers of our community. We're always going to be tempted to just focus on people from our fold because we understand each other better and it's easier to be unified to people who are so much similar to us. For the sake of breadth, we're always tempted to make things just a little bit shallower, to go a little bit wider. Can't get around it. 
But Jesus' vision for his flock is both. No other leader could make it happen. But Jesus can. He's the only person who can call the whole world and uniquely know each person by name. So it's all about the good shepherd. Jesus can and does. Finally, I just want to point out, for us, depth and breadth are not mutually exclusive. They're actually mutually dependent. There's a really beautiful relationship between depth and breadth here. To quote a friend of mine, he's a friend of mine in Chicago, always says that we have relational depth for kingdom breadth. Some of you have heard me say that before. The deeper we journey into Jesus' heart, the greater security we have in his love, the deeper he plants within us his own desire for other sheep to experience that same thing as well. So the deeper you go in, the further you're let out, almost. Peter, do you love me, Jesus says to Peter after his resurrection. Peter, do you see how personally attentive I've been to you in your life? Peter, do you see how much I've forgiven you? Do you know that just you and I having fish over breakfast, do you know that I love you and do you love me back? And Peter says yes. And then what does Jesus say? Feed my sheep. Then get out there. So Christ Church, if you've been with us for a while or if you're new to us or new to watching, this is a really unique season um, of just history as we're coming out of this pandemic. And again, it's gonna be gradual but as the leaves are coming out, more people are getting vaccinated, things are opening up. All right, now is the time for us to remember and lay hold of the depth and the breadth of Jesus' mission, of the vision that he's casting. Now more than ever, people are hungry for relational depth. Amen? To be called by their name. Hence the name tag. It's a cool move. I feel like I'm like showing you my badge or something under my stole. Now more than ever is the time to journey even deeper into the heart of Jesus because now more than ever is a time for kingdom breadth. It's time to remember that Jesus has many other people who are in this city. Jesus has many other people who are in this city. So we're not afraid. We keep on speaking because Jesus is standing at the door of the sheepfold of Madison, Wisconsin, and he's calling out names. That's why we planted this church. That's why we're here. Before coronavirus, we actually had a year vision for depth because we felt like when we were really small, we were actually kind of growing a little bit too big for our relational depth and, and discipleship depth and Jesus could hold. So we were like, we wanna, we wanna deepen our roots so that we can have wider branches. And I think in a similar way, um, coming out of coronavirus in this moment, we have an opportunity for breadth. I think there's, there's going to be an open door for kingdom breadth that we have not had in a long time. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.